Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Bryna Siegel-Feiner about basic writing, pedagogical development, program placement, and building more sustainable writing programs. Bryna Siegel-Feiner is professor of English and director of writing across the curriculum at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Her scholarship focuses on the rhetoric of health and medicine, basic writing, and first-year composition. Bryna is the co-editor of two collections, Women's Health Advocacy from Rutledge and Writing Program Architecture, 30 Cases for Reference and Research from Utah State University Press. Her work has also appeared in TETYC, Rhetoric Review, JWA, and elsewhere. She is at work on a new project on rhetorics of support for breast cancer patients. Bryna, thanks so much for joining us. I want to start with questions about the basic writing classroom and basic writing programs. What are some common assumptions about the basic writing classroom? I've been teaching basic writing for a very, very long time, doing a research project, collecting longitudinal data from nine basic writing instructors from across the country for the last um, two and a half years. So, and I've been um, spending the last couple of months analyzing that data. Um, so in terms of common assumptions, I think that there's a myth or there's an assumption that the students who are placed in basic writing are unmotivated or they, they don't want to be there. And while I think sometimes that can be true, I think the reason for that has to really be explored right, by whoever's teaching the class, um, by the people who do the placement, by the WPA. The students aren't necessarily unmotivated just because that is their um, like intrinsic nature, but that being placed in basic writing comes with a lot of emotional uh, stuff. It comes with a lot of like, you know, there's, there's they, they, you know, the students sort of start to realize, oh wait, I was placed in this class, but my peers were placed in, a, in another class. Why didn't I get into this class? Often they have to, you know, they're going to end up paying for a class, an additional class that their other, that their peers aren't. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that comes with being put into basic writing. It, so it's not a, um, you know, it's not that the students are, um, you know, have like a character trait of being unmotivated. <laughs> so that I think is a really important um, thing that people should not assume about the students. I think also that there's a assumption and maybe this is something that anybody can teach this class. A lot of the people who I talked to in the in the research study that I've been doing have talked about how you know they see this happen at their own universities where um, a lot of adjunct or graduate students or contingent faculty teach basic writing when they haven't had any training in it or any experience teaching it and then the students are kind of at a loss, right? They're not getting necessarily the best experience in the classroom. So, and I think that that's really a hard place for the students to be in. You know, there are, of course, people, you know, amazing instructors and adjuncts and graduate students who are great teachers. But I really think to teach this class, it, it's a, we, like we talk about it at our own institution as a specialized course. You need some specialized training. <laughs> you need to have some experience, you know, working with students and working with um, students who need additional support and have some training in the like sort of pedagogy that goes along with that too. Um, it's not like anybody can just 
sort of walk in and teach it. Can you talk more about your research project and the data you're collecting on basic writing teachers? So I have nine different um, instructors who I'm work who I've been interviewing and surveying. So I started with so I've been I interviewed them every semester for the last two years, um, and then they also did some surveys and I collected syllabi from them, um, some assignment sheets, a few like different materials. They also wrote some reflections at various points during the two years. So, so, you know, my, the reason that I started doing it was because I was thinking about how, like, you know, who is the basic writing teacher, right? Like the people who I know who teach basic writing, when we talk about it, what we talk about is how it is a hard job. It is a hard class to teach. And there are a lot of challenges, but yet every semester we ask to teach it again and again for years and years. <laughs> so nobody is putting a gun to our head and saying, you have to teach basic writing. We keep doing it. So that's what I was really interested in was, you know, who are these people who, <laughs> who, are so, who continue to do this? And so part of what I'm sort of coding for right now is sort of like affect and emotion kind of what feelings people have when they talk or what feelings people express when they talk about um, basic grading or their teaching. And so a lot of it is about sort of a shift from they talk a lot of them talk about how sort of what I was talking about before, how you start with this frustration, but you end with feeling kind of an exhilaration or an excitement that you see student growth, that it's really noticeable in that class. And I think there's a lot of satisfaction from that. So Bryna, I am also interested in knowing how you would suggest going about preparing someone to teach basic writing. What resources, texts, materials, or pedagogical strategies would you recommend? Um, what can best prepare somebody to teach basic writing is to be in the classroom with a teacher who's already doing it, with an experienced teacher. So either that they are assigned to be that person's you know, graduate assistant or teaching assistant or something like that, or they ask if they can shadow that teacher, um, or in, in some way they are in that classroom for, you know, once a week, working as an in-class tutor, something like that, spending time in an actual classroom. A lot of us get our PhDs from institutions that don't teach basic writing. So they don't offer basic writing to undergraduates. So we get our PhDs in composition, rhetoric, or you know, some related field, but we don't ever have the experience to, or the chance to teach basic writing. We teach something like you know, English 101 and maybe some other um, kind of freshman writing course. And we might learn about basic writing, we might read, you know, some books about it or some articles, and um, but we don't get that hands-on experience. I was really lucky. I sort of <laughs> I taught as an adjunct in some places um, before I did my PhD, and I was kind of uh, thrown into it and got a lot of practice doing it that way. So, but I think if you are a graduate student, if you can get some experience in the classroom, that's the best way. If you can't. I mean, there, you know, there's 
a lot of great reading. I mean, everybody will say, right, to read Mina Shaughnessy, um, read Mike Rose. Uh, the Council of Basic Writing has a really great website, blog kind of thing where people put, post tons of resources um, and articles and links to the journal. I mean, you really have to, I think, immerse yourself in that uh, current scholarship, what's going on in that area, um, if you're not able to get into the classroom itself. I find this idea of shadowing as a means for pedagogical development are really fascinating. I imagine some teachers were thrown into English 101, maybe after a week of orientation, or are teaching 101 while simultaneously taking a composition theory course. So what would you say makes basic writing an environment that maybe needs this kind of model or this shadowing approach versus teaching a class like English 101? So I think in basic writing, um, what tends to happen is like as I was like I was talking about before, there are these not they're not necessarily there are the motivation issues, right? That you kind of need to uncover or unpack a little bit. And you have students who are really at a lot of different uh levels, right? I think you need to do a lot more differentiation, right? So working with students individually grouping students and getting getting them to you know work together uh, by you know kind of wh where they are um, what they're what they seem to be able to do at that moment and trying to encourage growth there can sometimes be more resistance in basic writing classrooms you know the students are kind of from the onset not so not always happy about being in that class i think it's useful to see an instructor handle that situation um, and, and handle that kind of throughout the semester. And also, I think it's really important to see how those students change over the semester. Because in basic writing, you really do see growth, not only in writing, but in their sort of personalities, like how they kind of, how their attitudes kind of change. They might be really resistant at the beginning, but by the end, um, they're, you know, really just kind of going with it and maybe even excited about it. They want to show you what they've written, um, you know, and I think it's really good to see that before you're actually the instructor of record. Because otherwise you go in and it's like, whoa, this, this is really hard and I, I might be really discouraged. I think what you're talking about as well are the variables in the basic writing classroom and the range of writers and learners that might be in that class just because of program placement practices and standards, right? I've run placement at our university for a lot of years and for several years. And, you know, what I realized is, you know, when we sort of, when we place essays, you know, students, they either do a portfolio or an essay. Most students do an essay. It's a timed essay. So most people are not writing their best, right? <laughs> a stressful situation when they're at orientation. And um, I mean, we could talk, do a whole other thing about placement, but um, just briefly, when we, when we place them, it's usually pretty clear when a student has written a 101 essay, right? It's usually easy to see, okay, this is 101, this, this is fine. The student will be fine in 101. It's all the 100s, or that's our, that's our basic writing class, where we're always very, it's just harder, right? We're just thinking, okay, well, 
So this didn't be, will, will basic writing benefit this student? Will they succeed in 101? There's so much more conversation. The rubric is a lot more challenging. We're, there's just so much more that goes into that. We're really thinking hard about this essay and this student and what, what's best for them. And, th and then that's how they end up in, in the class, how you end up with a class of so, students with so, such variation in their um, writing ability. Your co-edited book, Writing Program Architecture, 30 Cases for Reference and Research, talks about building and sustaining writing programs. So writing centers, first-year writing programs, writing across the curriculum. What kinds of program challenges did you notice or what reoccurring themes stood out to you as you were working on this book? Yeah, well, so when I started um, at IUP eight years ago, um, I was the director of um, Liberal Studies English, which was basically what we call our, it's our first year writing program. There's also, it includes a first year or a general education literature course and also basic writing. I also um, started the writing across the curriculum program. Each chapter in the book is divided into you know, various sections, sort of part of parts of the architecture of each program. You know, there's a budget section in each chapter. So I mean, every program talks about it, whether it's a WAC program or a um, basic writing program or a, I mean, writing center. Everybody talks about this, right? That money is an issue. There are a couple programs that do talk about how they're very successfully endowed in some way. And so <laughs> um, this has allowed them to really flourish, succeed for the most part. That is really a, um, a challenge. And uh, this book was published in, I think, 2017. So, of course, that's only become, it's only been more challenging, um, you know, an enrollment declining over the last few years. What's kind of common through a lot of these is challenges with sort of WPAs and various pieces of administration. Right, so who you're reporting to, or other people like you know working with deans or working with provosts or working with department chairs, and those kind of relationships are really important. So how successful the program can really be, you know, sort of depends on if you have a strong relationship with those people. Are there any solutions to those issues? I mean, like you said, I, I don't think there's a surplus of wealth at universities that is going to help budgets and meet real program needs and resources right now. But are there other opportunities programs can think about so that they can build a more sustainable future? One thing that I almost managed to do this year <laughs> was I was able to convince the provost, our, our provost, to redistribute money. You know, there's no new money, really. There's no, like, unless you're going to get um, some kind of, like, donation, which does happen. But I was able to convince the provost to, um, using a lot of data, to stop paying for this standardized test that our students were taking, this standardized writing test, um, you know, showing him that the test was not really show, proving anything about our students' writing abilities, and asked him instead to give that money to me. 
for the WAC program. Uh, and he was totally on board. And I thought that was going to work out really well. At the last minute, he, he did, they did stop paying for the test at the last minute. So most of that money went somewhere else. You can make, you know, convincing arguments using data, right? Those people at the top always want data that you could perhaps get money redistributed in your direction, um, you know, towards your writing program. I think also, and, and one way to do that really, especially with um, like basic writing or in first year writing too, is if you have data that shows, you know, retention, right? That is what every university is all about right now. If you have data that shows can show how your first year writing courses are helping to retain students, I would think that can buy you some some money. So I think that actually the retention issue, like one way I think that it, that a WPA can be just successful in retaining good relationships with deans and provosts and chairs and people like that is by showing that you are um, interested because you genuinely should be interested <laughs> in retention um, and student persistence um, and how your how the writing classes um, contribute to that mission at the university but also if you can show that you're collecting that kind of data that they need for um, for those things then it sort of shows them that you are um, like on board with that, that you are interested in that and that you are somebody they can turn to, <laughs> to help with this problem. Use architecture as a metaphor in your co-edited book and argue that architecture is the new sustainability. How might you connect this metaphor to the basic writing classroom? What's the foundation and the beams and post? And what practical strategies do you use to help support your students? I think that in basic writing, what, what holds that class together is really about the, the relationship between the teacher and the students. That the teacher has to be really, has to start with building confidence in the students. So I think in terms of the foundation, that is that sort of trust and confidence building. You know. I hear constantly from my basic writing students that they have been told that they are bad writers, that um, they, uh, yeah, I mean that they're bad writers. I, mean, I don't know who, what kind of person tells somebody that, but, you know, um, or, you know, and how much they hate writing, which I think comes from being, well, somebody told me I was a bad writer, I would hate doing it too. You know? Um, you know, I think that it, the more that their confidence is built up, that they have that foundation of trust, that they know that I am not going to, that I'm going to support them, even though I'm going to challenge them, um, that that foundation, if that foundation is there, then the rest and the skills and the content, right, that those are the, like the beams and the posts that are, you're building the class, those kind of come in on their own. Right. But that foundation has to be really strong because um, I think some some students in basic grading have had a really a hard time with writing. I mean, just something practical that is very, very easy. And <laughs> I mean, um, is, you know, on the first day of class, I'll have students do some writing, you know, maybe just for 10 minutes, ask, have just a simple prompt. And I respond to all of those by the next class period. And I always write. You know, I start with dear so-and-so and 
I, you know, pinpoint something that they wrote in there. I really liked how you talked about whatever, whenever, you know, one point. And I would then always say something like, I'm really looking forward to reading more of your work this semester. Um, I can tell that it's, it's going to be very exciting or interesting or whatever, something that I notice about this writing that they've done, even if it's two sentences. You know? I mean, I can say that I'm genuinely interested in working with them and in reading their work and seeing more of their writing. And then, you know, and I sign my name so that they just have this little letter from me in those first couple of days that just says, you know, I, I want to work with you. I'm here. And I think that even that little bit helps if they come to my office hours in the first week so we can just sit down, they can come see me, not standing up in front of the room. Um, and, you know, they come in my office, they see pictures of my kid, they see like his artwork, they see me as a little bit more of a human being. And, you know, we can have more of a, you know, a slightly more personal talk. We can learn a little bit more about them there. Thanks, Bryna. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.